everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I hope you guys are all doing good. Everybody doing good? All right. Everybody love Jesus today? Let me hear you if you love Jesus today. Come on. Come on. Yeah, you're encouraging yourself by that response and those who are around you. You're bringing yourself hope and you're bringing others hope. That's what this series is all about. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at all of our campuses, Ogallala, North Platte, and our online campus. My name is Jeff. If we've never met one another and you're here, I want to say welcome. Glad that you're here for this very special Sunday that we just have kind of titled Back to Church Sunday, all right? Back to Church Sunday. If this is your, uh, maybe your first time back, you haven't been back in a long time, thank you so much for walking through the doors. Uh, I'm encouraged by the fact you're here, and I hope to leave you better than I found you, okay? Uh, That's part of the guarantee today. Uh, You know how you go to a business and you buy a product and they have a guarantee? Today, I got a guarantee for you. The guarantee is this. I want to leave you better than I found you. If I didn't leave you better than I found you, you get all your money back. Okay? So for the ticket you bought to get in the doors... Right? Or watching online, right? You get it all back, just being, just joking around. No, I do. I want to leave you better than I found you. I want you to be more encouraged than when you walked in the door. Right? I want to, I want to make you, uh, you know, come to a point where you feel like you're glad you came. Uh, I want to leave you better than I found you by helping you get closer to God. Come on. That's a good thing, right? I want to leave you better than I found you because I want you to be filled with the hope that only Jesus can provide your soul today. If you are the average person in here, let me see. Who's the average person in here? Let me see your hand go up. Okay, good. Just look at the person next to you if their hand didn't go up, all right? And discern before you say anything whether they are the above or below, right? If they're the above, then ask them, how'd you get there? Um, No, if you're the average person today, you probably feel like most people in America. And that is you feel overwhelmed in some shape or form by the, the weight that you carry and by everything that you're facing today. A lot of people in America feel this way. They feel like they're facing more than they can actually handle. It feels like to a lot of people in America right now that hope is fleeting. It's running from them while they're chasing it. That hope is this element that keeps slipping through their fingers that they can't get a hold of. It almost feels like they are living life like it's them versus the world. You ever felt that way before? You ever felt like it was you versus the entire world, like it's you taking on the whole world? Well, man, look, we all have all felt that way. And that's why we like stories and we like movies and we like books about underdogs, people who have hope, though, in the face of great adversity. Do you have a book or a movie or something like that you can think of where a person in that movie, you know, they were facing incredible adversity, but they had such tenacity and they had such hope. They were hope-filled and they just overcame it. They were the underdog that overcame it. One of the ones I go back to that's a classic for me is The Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie or not, but it's about this boxer James Braddock. Right, and he is—he's uh, alive. Uh, he's kind of supposed to be in his prime, but it's in the midst of the Great Depression, and he gets injured to a point where he can't box anymore, and that was kind of like his whole occupation. And so now he's trying to provide for his wife and his kids in the middle of the Great Depression, and everything's collapsing in and falling on him. And he's a day worker, and he goes out and he tries to get a job that day, but he can't find one. And there's such a limited amount of work, right, that his wife even says. Honey, look, I believe in you, but this is too much for our whole family to take care of. Uh, we should probably take the kids, you know, out of the city. 
And he's like, no, we're not going to give up, right? We're not going to back down. And all of a sudden he gets an opportunity to fight one more fight. And you can almost see the, the, the tenacity inside of him and the, the hope that he was given at this moment to like one more time. If he can just have this victory, things are going to be better. And he wins a victory and a victory. And he finally he's boxing for the championship. And he has, he's climbed the ranks. And it's like America is watching this. It's based on a real story. America's watching this boxer as he's climbing out of the gutter, right, to become the Cinderella man. <clears throat> and they're like, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And as he wins, it's like America is winning. And as he wins, people are going, well, if he can win, maybe I can win. And the James Braddock story brought hope to a lot of people. These kind of movies are about the underdogs. These are the kind of characters that overcome amazing things. These are the kind of movies that make you in your living room want to stand up, right, and go, you can do it. And you know it's just a movie, right? It like pulls this out of you. It even brings you to tears at times. And the reason for that is because at our core, we know what it feels like to try to take on the world. Every single one of us knows it. That's why we love the underdog story. Because we feel like that if they can win, then maybe I can win. Guys, look, this time that we're alive right now, it's a crazy chaotic time. We, we live in a crazy world that is like trying to steal hope from every person. It doesn't matter how well you've got your life put together. You know, it just seems like many people are, are living like on a razor thin edge of hope where at any given moment, just one more thing can just kind of put us over the top. And part of that is because we live in, we're caught up really in this like fast paced rat, rat like life where it's just like we're running the, the circle we're we're caught in the maze at times. And there's many times where we feel like we just can't catch up. I just can't catch up. Like, man, it's like every week there's just more and there's more and there's more. And like, when is it ever going to end? And many of us are right now working in, 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 a, in a place where we're overloaded with work. Because most places of employment, they don't have enough workers. So anybody that is faithful and anybody that is there, anybody that is willing to work is carrying twice the load that they used to carry. And unfortunately, all too often, many of us are even carrying that kind of load while working in a toxic culture environment. And all of that now you've got to live through Monday through Friday and bring home and somehow detach yourself. But when you try to detach yourself and turn on the TV and you go to the local news station, it's like most news is, is hope stealing. And the politics of today, robbing people of hope and all of that while we're trying to navigate a worldwide pandemic. Well, today I got good news for you. Somebody say good news. good news. I got good news for you today. And that's this, that I believe because of what God's word tells us that hope is something that it can be tangible in our lives. It doesn't have to be something that's fleeting. It doesn't have to be something that feels like it's slipping through our fingers, that hope can actually be tangible 24-7, 365 days a year, that hope is achievable and that hope can actually be sustainable. And I believe all of that because the hope I'm talking about is a hope that comes from God. It's not anything that has to do with this world. But that's now our choice. Right? We have to make a choice today. Where am I going to try to find my hope? And I would encourage you today, find your hope in the life-giving hope that God can provide. Because God's here today for anyone who feels like they're facing more than they can handle. Please listen to me today. This is not just a good-feel message. This is a biblically accurate message, okay? 
And did you realize, realize that biblically accurate messages can also be a feel-good message? Because there's good news in God's word. There's hope in God's word. And today, God is here for anyone who is willing to say, God, I'm facing more than I think I can handle right now. God goes, good, I got you where I want you. Now I can introduce the hope that I have for you. You know, the Bible's full of these kind of situations. The Bible is full of people who are facing insurmountable odds. They're facing like a mountain of things that they're more than they can handle. And all, and all of them have experienced, though, this miraculous story of like being delivered and set free in victory. But when you look through the Bible and you see all these different characters, both men and women, that are facing insurmountable odds that experience miraculous victories, you discover that all of them have these same two common denominators in their life. These same two common thoughts that they, both have, they all have this. If I try to face the odds on my own, I'm going to be defeated. That's one of the things they have. If I try to face whatever it is on my own, I am going to be defeated. The second thought that they all have is this, that if I'm not close to God, there's never going to be a victory. So it's not just about knowing who God is, right? It's not just about having a knowledge of God. It's not just about walking through the doors of a church. It's a, recogni a recognition of my dependency upon God and my closeness to him, my proximity to him. So am I surrendered to him and am I close to him? Those two common denominators are what we see in biblical men and women who are in God's word for all of eternity for you and me to learn from and how they overcame insurmountable odds, facing things they couldn't seem like they knew how to get through on their own and how God gave them a victory. And the most classic of all the underdogs, the most classic is David, and not just David, but David faith facing the giant. When you look at the story of David facing the giant, you see the classic story of the, of the underdog man, right, facing insurmountable odds with hope in his heart and overcoming it. And it doesn't just give him a victory, it gives the entire nation a victory. Now, that didn't happen when David was a, you know, strapping young man who had gone through military training. This story happens while David is a young boy. So today I want to talk to you about what it means to have hope for the underdog. And I want to look at David as he faces this giant to give us our biblical foundation. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 20, it says this. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse, that's his father, had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood face, facing each other, army against army. I just want you to notice this, that within a couple of hours, David goes from this calm field to this chaotic and brutal battlefield. Within a couple of hours, David goes from the sound of sheep bah, to the sound of battle, Ah, like that, like, I mean, just like this shift that takes place. He goes from one to the next, but this is the same thing that happens to us. You're going about your everyday life, clocking in at work, doing your normal work responsibilities, when all of a sudden you get the phone call from a loved one, a family member, that tells you, hey, I just want to let you know, I just found out, I'm diagnosed with 
with cancer. If you're just going about your every, every day, you were in the calm field of the, of the average, and then you were thrown into the battlefield. You were going about your every day when all of a sudden someone comes into your workplace or someone knocks on your door and you find out your teenager's been using drugs. Or all of a sudden you find out, right, that your spouse has been unfaithful to you. Or you're just in your average day commute going from one place to the next and all of a sudden, wham, you're in an accident. And then you gotta make a phone call to your spouse. Sorry, I wrecked the Mercedes. That's never happened in our house because we've never owned a Mercedes. But it did happen with my Jeep Wrangler. But we got over that, okay? So it's, we're good. We're good, all right? We're good. Don't worry about us, all right? Don't worry about us. Um, isn't it amazing, though, how we can be in one place and then all of a sudden we're in another? How everything's going smooth and then, man, you're in the deep end? And wouldn't it be nice if someone would give you a call and give you a warning like, hey, just want to let you know, hey, your wife's going to call and let you know she wrecked your Jeep. Oh, okay, good, because now you can get your heart ready. Right? You can get yourself in the right frame of mind. You can gather your thoughts. You can respond correctly where you don't have to apologize for a month later. Right? You see what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be awesome if someone would warn you, hey, so-and-so, your boss, getting ready to walk into the office, and they're thinking about firing you. Wouldn't it be nice to just know about that? Wouldn't it be nice to know, hey, this crazy call is going to come in and you're going to find out that someone very close to you now has been diagnosed with cancer? Wouldn't it be nice to be warned, but we don't get a call and we don't get a warning. We're rarely prepared for the fight. Most of the time, the things that we face, we're rarely prepared for them, right? You didn't ask to be put in that situation, right? but now you are. And now you're in a situation where a clear route to victory is very difficult to see. It's like being thrown into the deep end of the pool before you're ready to swim. Like all of a sudden, there you are, and you just got to figure out how to survive in the midst of this. And this is where David finds himself, in the deep end of the pool, and now he's got to figure out how to swim. And you might be in the same place today. And this is the kind of place that is a desperate place where we desperately need hope. My family is in this place right now. My Aunt Lisa, 62 years old, has seven kids, 12 grandchildren, and right now as we speak, she's, she's like, like tr struggling for life just right now. Three years ago, she was a bodybuilder. I mean, three years ago, she was ripped. She would make all of us, you know, like want to go on a diet and start lifting weights immediately. That was three years ago. Now, she weighs 48 pounds and is struggling at the climax of ALS. And it's difficult. It's difficult to know, like, what are we supposed to do? It's difficult for the entire family. No one was prepared for it. Three years ago to today, that's brutal, right? We're all in places where we feel overwhelmed at times. We're all in these places where something's going on, where we're facing more than we know how to handle, where we're wondering, what is really my next step? It's in moments like these that we have to decide what our next response will be. That might be what we're facing. What are you facing? 
could be something in your personal life, could be something in your family, could be something in your extended life. It's more than what you can handle. It's more than what you know what to do. And you got a choice that you have to make. You're either going to allow the storm to throw you around, right, or you're going to take it on. I want you to think about like a ship at sea in a massive storm. What does a good captain of a ship at sea do in the midst of a massive storm? He turns the front of the ship toward where the waves are coming and he takes them head on. And he gives the boat the power that it needs to power through some of those waves and to ride over the other ones. What a bad captain does is this. There's no hope. Turn off the engines. And now they're spinning there at sea, getting tossed back and forth by the waves, throwing them around wherever they want to. That's the kind of boat that's going to kill everybody on the inside and it's going to potentially even capsize the whole thing. So what did David decide to do in the midst of his storm that he was facing? And what should you do in the midst of your storm that you're facing? Take it head on. Take it head on. So what do, we, what do we do in this story? We find out, right, from the last scripture we were reading that the two armies are standing there now face to face. And then all of a sudden, here's how it continues to progress. Goliath, this giant, this man that is, is known to be over nine feet tall, he comes walking out and he stands in between the two armies alone, basically taunting them. Like, come on, I dare you guys, come and take me on. If one of you can beat me, then we'll surrender to you. And he's defiling their God, and he's calling, he's calling them names, and he's calling their God's names. And what does the Israelite army do every time Goliath comes out to this position? Every time they run in fear. They come off of their standing post, they come off of their spot where they're supposed to fight, and they run in fear. Well, David has just gotten there. He was bringing the gifts from his father. And what does David want to do? When David hears Goliath and he sees Goliath for the very first time, what does he want to do? He wants to run out onto the battlefield. He wants to take Goliath on. I mean, that's what's going on inside of his heart. He, he responds physically a little bit differently, but inside of his heart, that's what he wants to do. And the king, King Saul, he hears about this young man, David, and he's like, I want to meet with him. And he brings David into his tent, right? And he's trying to talk to him about what it's going to be like to fight this giant. And he's just like, there's no way this is going to happen. Right? It's, just, it's impossible. And I want you to listen to what David told the king in verse 32. David says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told King Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Paul. Saul, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I'll, I, I'll tell you what. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. I know how to take on a, on a guy in a battlefield, right? Sheep and goats, like that's great training. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal, steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by its jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right then, man, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I mean, if you put yourself there, it probably kind of sounds like that. Here's this young boy right, who's never faced a warrior on a battlefield, 
but he's got a certain level of experience that he thinks is enough. And then you've got this very mature man who's been in a lot of battles, and he's like, I got no one else that wants to fight him. Okay, you go ahead and you do it. What caused David to do this? What caused David, right, the underdog, to resist the fear and have faith to fight the giant? It was hope. It was this kind of hope. Hope that God, that, that with God, right, he, he will not be fighting alone. That's the kind of hope he had. Hope that with God, nothing is impossible. Hope that the little that he has to offer will be just the right amount in the hands of his all-powerful, mighty God. David's hope comes from the faithfulness of God in his past. He reflected back on his past and he said, God was with me then, God will be with me now. And David's hope also comes from his faith in the all-powerful and supreme authority of God himself. He knows that God is in complete control. See, David just happens to believe that if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. That's what he believes. That's what allows him to walk into the battlefield and take on this giant. And you guys, you and me, we can have the same level of confidence. But it all, it all comes back to this, this point of trust. Do we trust in God? See, hope, hope doesn't just happen out of nowhere. Hope is a product of trust. That when we trust in something, something becomes trust or trustworthy, then hope begins to stir inside of our hearts. It's kind of like a small child. I think one of the most innocent best pictures I can give you is like a small child standing on the edge of the pool. You're in the water, up to waist deep or even chest deep, and you're like this, and you're going, come on, jump, I'll catch you. And the kid's right there, and he's on the edge, and he's like, oh. And you're like, no, seriously, I'll catch, I won't let you drown. And then man, that little boy or girl, they just jump into your arms, and you catch them, and you save them from drowning. And they loved the experience. They're like, yes, I trusted mom or dad or weird uncle, and I jumped. <laughs> and I jumped, and you caught me. That's a beautiful picture. This is, this is how God's asking us to be. And this is how you see David responding to this situation. So what does it look like in our adult lives? In our adult lives, it looks like this, trusting in what God has done in our past. If he's been faithful in our past, then he'll be faithful now. And for some of you, maybe you don't have a lot of stories of God being faithful in your past. Maybe you're early, you're new in your spiritual journey. That's okay. But for others of you, you do have those. But for all of us, we have friends, and some of our friends have walked through some difficult times, and God's been faithful. And if that's not the case, maybe it's your parents, or it's your grandparents, or it's your life group leader. And we got to hang on to those kinds of things, because it's stories like that that give us hope to know that God did this for people I love and care about that are trustworthy, and if God did it for me and he did it for them, then God will do it for us again in our future. And I'm telling you what, guys, God has cashed in on my, my life and my wife's life over and over. And he's reminded us, like we've heard his voice say, look, if I've been faithful then, yes, then I'll be faithful now. Did I take care of you and your family then? Yes, God, then I'll take care of you and your family now. So step out in bold faith. See guys, look, when you trust God, it gives you all of the confidence you need to push forward when the circumstances are stacked against you. And this is exactly how David trusted God and he let God lead him in verse 40 said this that David 
he went out to fight the Philistine giant. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and I will cut off your head. It's a bit violent, so I hope you don't have kids here. Rated R. And then I will give the, the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here, they will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. I love it. Although David has complete trust in God, notice what he still has to do. He still has to step out on the battlefield. David still has to go toe-to-toe with the giant. Even though he believes in the supreme authority of God, even though he knows that the battle isn't his, it's God's battle, he still has to step out onto the battlefield. He has to trust God to rescue him, right, from the, from the grasp of this giant who's nine feet tall that no one else was willing to battle. So I just want you to know today, trusting in God, having faith in God isn't passive. Faith is something that has to go in action. So faith isn't about shrinking back. Trusting God isn't about shrinking back. Trusting God is about knowing your limitations. It's knowing what you're supposed to do and then what God can do. Because if, look, if you're trying to go out there and you're going to try to fight anger with anger, you're going to lose. You try to go out there and fight physical with physical, you're going to lose. If David goes out there and he tries to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms with a shield bearer and with a sword and with a javelin, I'm telling you right now the story's different. Goliath wins. But we have to put faith in action just like David put faith in action. And David fought physical, watch this. He fought physical with spiritual. He didn't fight physical with physical. Because if he knew if he fought physical with physical, he was going to lose. He fought physical with spiritual. And this is how we all have to fight our battles as well. You see David standing on a physical battlefield today. As you read this scripture, you can almost see it. You see the trees there, right? You see the enemy over there. You see the Israelites. You see David walking down. You see him picking up these physical stones and walking onto this physical battlefield. But David didn't see himself on a physical battlefield. David saw himself on a spiritual battlefield. How do I know this? Because David's the one who said it. He said, first and foremost, this isn't my fight. This is God's fight. And today we're not going to win this battle with swords and with spears. God's going to be the one who fights for us. And everybody who watches this battle is going to know it. They're all going to see it. They're going to see the faithfulness of God at work. But then secondly, David knew, though, I mean, full out, I'm in the middle of this. I'm not the middle of the story, David recognized, but I'm in the middle of the story. And God's going to be doing something all around me. 
So church, look, you, you might feel like you're fighting a physical giant of a situation right now, but really you're fighting a spiritual one. This is what Ephesians 6, 12 tells us. It says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Neither was David. But, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm here to tell you today that most of the battles that you're facing, most of the things that feel like it's too much for you to hang on to, too much for you to handle today, most of that could be easily win, won by simply submitting to God. By doing simple things like praying for God's will to be done in your heart and in the heart of the situation. That's one of the ways that you can win the battle you're in right now. God, let your will be done in my life and in the middle of this situation. Praying for the person who's causing you that pain. Unfortunately, in this world, we are the ones that tend to cause each other pain. Praying for that other person is a part of going into this battle on a spiritual level instead of just a physical level where everything inside of you wants to retaliate. Everything inside of you, it sees the faces of the people that cause you your greatest pain. They cause you your greatest strife. They cause you your greatest stress. We see their face, and inside of our heart, anger comes up. Instead, instead when you see their, their face, let prayer come up, a prayer blessing for them. That's how you're going to win the battle. You don't win it by retaliating against them physically. You win it by praying for them spiritually, asking God to change your heart. All too often, we get caught up in these battles, and we don't even ask God, change my heart. Like, God, help me to see what you see. God, help me to be the man or the woman you want me to be in this situation. Change me. No, we just keep like a rhino in a china shop. We just keep boring forward as if we run hard enough and fast enough and keep our head down, we'll get out of it. And you might get out of it, but you're going to walk out of it with a lot of scars. We also fight physical battles spiritually because that's the battle that's really going on is this spiritual battle by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and seeking for him to use us. The next time you find yourself in one of these battles, start asking the Lord, Lord, would you fill my mouth with the words that are going to you know, de-escalate this? Would you fill my mouth with the words that are going to bring hope, that are going to bring encouragement to others? God, would you do that? Lord, would you, would you fill my heart with a love that's supernaturally uh, you know, beyond what I can contain so I can love others? Although I feel stressed out and I'm going into work and i got to manage this thing and I'm finding myself short, with a short fuse, and I just want to lash out. God, would you give me a love right now beyond what I, what I feel is physically possible? This is what David did. I see this giant, and all of a sudden inside of his heart, he was like, God, what do you want me to do? And God called him to go and engage the giant. So what did he do? He picks up the stone. He, he puts it in his sling. He does what he knows how to do. He whirls it as hard as he can, and he lets it go with as much accuracy as possible. And what does God do? God takes the stone, and he directs it right where it needs to go. I almost see it like a, like a, like a knuckleball thrown by a pitcher. It's like, here's, here's Goliath, and he's like, right, this thing's coming in. Ah, whack! Smacks him right in the forehead and just drops him to the ground. And with one victory... The entire war was won. One victory, the entire war was won. In some of your lives, it's just about winning one victory. To watch all the other noise go, oh, that wasn't as loud as I thought it was. <laughs> that wasn't as much as I thought it was. That wasn't as much weight as I thought it was. Some of you are just one victory away from winning the war. 
And the war is going to be won when you flip the switch and you realize, I don't, I don't battle against flesh and blood. I might be on a flesh and blood planet. I might walk into flesh and blood battlefields, but I battle spiritually. And it's me getting my heart prepared for what God wants to do. And when David dropped that, that giant, the entire Philistine army ran. And what, did, what happened for the Israelite army? Well, they went from fear to feeling full of hope. Like, man, we're emboldened now. Our faith in God is like, God, you can do anything. Why did that happen? Because hope is contagious. See, when the underdog steps out in faith, it stirs hope in others. So mom and dad, listen to me. When you lead your home and your family with the hope that you have that all things are possible with God, with the hope that you have that our dependency is upon God, with the hope that you have that everything we are is a blessing from God, guess what happens in your home? Hope is there. Manager, when you lead with the attitude of my, my gifting to lead and my, my skill to manage, it, it comes from my hope in what God has provided, guess what happens to those who are underneath you? Hope can be transferred to them. Teachers, listen to me. In a classroom where maybe you can't pray, in a classroom where you can't preach, in a classroom where it's, you can't open up the Bible and read the Bible to your kids, when you lead that classroom with hope in your heart, the hope that is this, that God, you're the one who's here helping me to teach these kids. You're the one who's here helping me to lead these kids. You're the one who's given me this gift and skill and ability. God, it's your atmosphere that no one can keep from your atmosphere filling that classroom. When you lead with that kind of attitude, hope invades the classroom and hope invades the student. That's what happens when the underdog decides to put their hope and their faith in an all-powerful, mighty God. So currently you might be in a situation where maybe you don't see your way out of it. You don't see, how am I going to get from here out of this situation? Okay, and right now that may not be the reality. You may not see it like David saw it. It was through Goliath. You might not see your way out right now. Okay, but God's asking you, will you trust him for the outcome? Because your trust in God, it does something. It activates hope in you. And it doesn't just activate hope in you, but it activates hope in others. So as we get ready to walk into this time of worship, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you feel like you're facing more than you can handle right now, right? You're facing an enemy that you just don't know what, how, to, how to navigate. You're facing a level of stress you don't know how to get around. You're facing circumstances that you don't have the answer for. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk onto the battlefield of worship, and I want you to offer your Goliath to God. And then I want you to declare your trust in God. And let him fill your heart with hope. God, I trust you with this. I trust you with this relationship. I trust you with this work environment. I, I trust you in my marriage. I, I trust you with these people that are trying to attack my character. I trust you, whatever it is. Okay, I trust you, God. Come to God and say, God, I trust you. Because when you do that, it's going to activate something. It starts to fill your heart with hope. And then lastly, I want you to invite God to change your heart of fear and worry into a heart of hope. If fear and worry are conquering you, then in this moment of worship, you bring that Goliath to him and you say, God, I'm overcome with fear. I can barely worship you. My thoughts, they go to, like, what's going to happen to me? My thoughts go to, God, what's the outcome going to be? My thoughts are all wrapped up in this. I'm consumed by it. I want you to bring it to God and say, God, I want you to exchange my heart of fear and worry for a heart of hope today. Why don't you stand and let me pray for you.
Lord, as this church walks onto the battlefield of worship, we walk on, some of us living victorious, some of us feeling like, man, we've got the world by the tail, but we all know that could turn on a dime. Everything could change. As we walk onto this battlefield of worship, Lord, I ask that people would trust you, they would bring their Goliath to you, and they would find you to be victorious. Victorious where it matters, spiritually inside of their heart. The first battle that has to be won in their heart, God, is one of trusting you in the midst of their Goliath. That's the first spiritual battle that gets won. And then it's a matter of, after trusting you, that hope that they have in, a, in, a, in an outcome of victory now leads them to say, God, teach me how to lead through this. Teach me how to love through this. Fill my mouth with your words. Fill my actions, Lord, with actions of love through this whole scenario, whatever I'm walking through. Give me wisdom beyond my years to make decisions. Knowledge beyond my years to figure things out. God, give me discernment beyond anything I've ever had. But Lord, it all starts with trusting you with the Goliath. And then that trust leading to hope and that hope leading to victory. So Lord, meet this church. Meet them right where they are. And Lord, love us enough that you don't leave us there. Change our hearts so that we love like you, we lead like you, and we even think like you. In Jesus' name, amen.